You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Before we begin, opening week of the NFL is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Promo code Locked On, by the way, gets you 20% off at MacWeldon.com. Hello, everyone, and happy Labor Day. Welcome to Locked on Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. Shows on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts like Spotify, Podbean, Himalaya, whatever you like. And if you don't like those services, you can always ask your smart device like Alexa, Google Home, whatever it is. Play podcast Locked on Vikings, which will take you right to the most recent episode. And today we have a whole bunch to get into with regard to the 53-man roster, which has been pretty much finalized as of at least this recording. There might be some other things that happen. We'll deal with that uh, on tomorrow's show if they do. But for the most part, we have the 53-man roster and a whole bunch of stuff that's intriguing to talk about. So let's jump right into it. And I want to start with the actual acquisitions. There's a couple of new Vikings that have joined the team uh, since the whole waiver process happened uh, and, and all of that, there's been a couple of major changes. And then we'll go over the roster cuts and the Isidora trade and all that stuff. But first, I want to start with the Mark Fields trade. The Vikings traded a conditional 2021 seventh round pick, which is about as small a compensation as you can come up with, for Mark Fields, an undrafted cornerback out of uh, Kansas City. He was a Clemson defensive back and went undrafted for a pretty good reason. Essentially, the book on him is that he is he lacks in length and frame. He's a five foot ten corner uh, and kind of projects best to the slot. Now, the Vikings typically do put those short corners at slot, like. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander. However, Chris Boyd, they had him play outside. They've had Mike Hughes play outside. So that's less of a hard and fast rule as it was a couple of years ago. Um, he has pretty good technique. He's unbelievably explosive and athletic. He ran like a 4-3-7 at the combine. He didn't run agility drills, but he's incredibly quick. He has uh, fluid hips and he's very, very bursty on tape. So I don't think that that's like a concern. I think if he did run the agility drills, his scores would be pretty good, but there's a lot of strategy that goes into that whole thing. So we don't have an actual number. But when it came time to play in the preseason for the Chiefs, who picked him up as an undrafted free agent, he struggled quite a bit with that lack of length. He struggled, you know, winning off of the release. He didn't really like press people very well because he just doesn't have the like strength and power as somebody like that, like Xavier Rhodes or Trey Waynes have. They're, they're both like a little bit bigger and they can kind of push receivers around where Mark Fields really struggled with that. And the biggest thing with Mark Fields is uh, he's pretty aggressive and he's handsy. And this is a thing with all college quarter corners because, uh, you know, your hand placement, your hand usage, like the rules are different and a little more lax in college. Xavier Rhodes struggled with this. Trey Waynes was horrible at this when he first started. You remember that infamous Hall of Fame game with three uh, pass interference flags? Well, Mark Fields kind of had a similar debacle in the fourth preseason game and it ended up probably would have gotten him cut. And that's why the Chiefs were willing to give him up for basically no compensation. It's a seventh round pick two years from now that if he doesn't stay on the roster for a defined number of games, I don't actually know what number of games that is. I don't know if it's come out yet. Uh, but if if he's not on the roster for enough games, then the compensation is literally, literally zero. So it's about as small as you can come up with, like I said. Uh, and the Chiefs were willing to give him up for that small amount, which probably means that they were going to cut him anyways. So this is not a player that's going to come in and like be quality depth right away. He's a project. He's got a ton of athleticism and it's really exciting. And after watching a little bit of his preseason tape, you can definitely see that his technique is further along than you would think for an undrafted rookie corner. 
Uh, but ultimately, he's a project, and he's going to be in the same category as like Oli Udo and uh, Drew Samia, who both made the team, by the way, but they're not like ready to play. They have technique issues that need to be worked out before they're ready, but when they do get those technique issues worked out, if they do, uh, they stand to be pretty good players just based on their athletic profiles, and I think Mark Fields kind of fits that mold. Uh, but for now, he'll definitely be sixth on the cornerback depth chart. If people start getting hurt, I think Chris Boyd comes in before Mark Fields. The other new Viking came in well after the uh, flurry of roster cuts and stuff happened. It's Dustin Colquitt, the punter. He came in, I think he was on the Chiefs last. Uh, he came in and replaced Matt Weil. So Matt Weil will not be the punter. So we are looking at Dan Bailey being the only surviving specialist from where things started pre-draft last year. Uh, and and the, the trio last year was McDermott, Weil, and Bailey. And both McDermott and Weil have now been replaced. So... Uh, real quick, Dustin Colquitt is as average as a punter as you can get. His grades are fine. His hang time's like not great, but fine. His distance isn't great, but fine. And when I say fine, I, I don't want you to think that it's like mediocre or below. I mean, it is like league average. It is completely and totally acceptable in every way. Nothing to get excited about, but you don't need like an exciting punter. There's value to it. Like there's value to a guy like Michael Dixon. Uh, who can, you know, pin him deep and get these 60-yard, you know, high-flying punts that force fair catches. But ultimately, as long as you're not making huge mistakes, like, punt return touchdowns are going to hurt you more than an extra 10 yards of field position because the punt was good is going to help you. So having an average punter, to me, is completely fine, and I'd rather do that. And uh, even though I thought that Matt Weil is actually a better punter, uh, just raw punter, I think he gets the ball high enough up into the air and it gets weird uh, like net distance stats which is what people always cite and it's really stupid because distance doesn't matter in, in punts you want to make sure that they don't return it like the point isn't always to get as far down the field as possible there's a lot more going on there's direction there's a lot of stuff but the thing about Colquitt is that he's a good holder and he there, there's a lot of tape I mean he's been in the league for six years as a punter as a holder uh, I don't know if there's ever even been any bad holds if uh, I mean I haven't like actually scouted this but he doesn't have like a reputation for being a bad holder or anything like that and Matt Wilde does so I think if you improve at holding it improves the field goal game and you don't get like that much worse really at punter I mean I think Matt Wilde was better but not by like that much and I think it's worth it to have the holding situation squared away so the snapping and the holding was very obviously the biggest problem with the field goals in training camp and Dan Bailey didn't actually miss any in actual preseason play but in training camp he was super uneven and it was largely, uh, there were a lot of factors. There were sometimes just like situational stuff. They had him do like scramble drills where uh, they, you know, had to like scramble up and get the kickoff really fast and he would like miss those or the snap was bad, the hold was bad. And those problems all seem to have been sorted out. Uh, we'll talk more about Corey Vedvik later, but uh, that, that seems like the, the field goal unit is, is primed and ready to be as good as Dan Bailey can be. And hopefully you know, post-injury, we can kind of find out if Dan Bailey truly was the problem. And my hypothesis is that he wasn't, so we'll see if I'm right. Quick programming note uh, on the Wednesday show, and as for all Wednesdays going forward, we're going to do Crossover Wednesday. And if you're new to the Locked On NFL Network, what that means is that uh, we are going to do a crossover show with the Locked On host for the opponent's show. So the week one opponent is the Atlanta Falcons. It's coming up on Sunday, guys. It's happening. And uh, we will talk to Aaron Freeman, host of Locked On Falcons. That'll be the Wednesday show. So get hyped for that. And speaking of getting extremely excited for the regular football season to actually start, DraftKings. 
the leader in one-day fantasy football, has some huge week one contests. First one starts this Thursday night when Chicago and Green Bay kick off the season in a single-game showdown with $2.5 million in total prizes up for grabs. Now, you have to hold your nose and watch the Bears and the Packers play each other, but hey, come on. How can you say no to $2.5 million in prizes? So draft your single game showdown lineup and feel the sweat like never before. It's simple. Draft six players from the season opener. Stay under the salary cap, see how your team stacks up against the competition, and new users who sign up today on DraftKings using code LOCKEDON will receive a free shot at the $1 million top prize. So you don't even have to pay any money. You can just get a chance at the prize. Just use promo code LOCKEDON. I'm good for it. Now, I certainly don't care who wins that game. I kind of hope there's a way that both of them can lose. But if you want a a reason to sweat that game out and actually be into it, well, there's nothing quite like having a shot at a million-dollar payday. So get in the season opener action. Download the DraftKings app now and use code LOCKEDON. And for a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. And new users don't miss the extra special week one bonus. Enter my code LOCKEDON to get a free shot at $1 million with your first deposit. That's code LOCKEDON on only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25x playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, back to the roster reaction brought to you by Mac Weldon. So I'm just going to go down the offense uh, right now and just give you kind of my thoughts. I've given you already a lot of thoughts in my various predictions and stuff. If you're more curious, go back, listen to the 53-man roster prediction episodes. There's a few of them throughout the last couple of weeks. Uh, But real quick, so starting with the quarterbacks, I've talked a ton about Kyle Sloter, but people are like really mad about Kyle Sloter getting cut because I think that what they've seen on TV does not align with what they've been told, and I think that's difficult to reconcile. But I do get it. I mean, he the, the, the more I've looked into it and the more I've heard about his issues in the huddle, the more dire they are. Like, they're a really big deal. And I think the way that I, I, I'll say this to people who don't think that it's a big deal, I, I would say if you don't think that Kyle Sloter's mental issues with uh, calling protections, calling motion, just relaying play calls in the huddle, if you don't think that's a big enough deal, if you're, if you're not concerned about that with him as a quarterback, then I don't think you fully understand what the problem is. He's calling the wrong plays. He's saying the wrong words. And with everything in code words, if you say the wrong word, you're essentially just like calling a random formation that might have any, not have anything to do with the play. You might be calling a a run play, but without the proper blockers in place. So the play gets blown up and it's a one-yard run. You know, think about how angry you got last year when it was third and one and they tried a deep shot. What if they didn't call a deep shot and the quarterback just got it wrong? If that's Kyle Sloter's fault... You know, like you can't have that, you know, in a nightmare scenario, obviously, where Kyle Sloter is there. And in year three, you kind of expect him to be getting like those are basic things. And if he's not getting the basics down in year three, then there's no future for him. So he got cut and he didn't get picked up uh, on the Vikings practice squad at all. They, they picked uh, Jake Browning instead. And you have Kirk Cousins, Sean Mannion. Uh, and Sloter ended up in Arizona, where they're going to try to develop him and see if they can't fix those issues. Personally, I agree with the move, assuming that those issues are actually as the coaches have told us that they are, which I do kind of take their word for it on this, because like Mike Zimmer doesn't lie about that kind of thing. He's pretty famously honest, and so I'm inclined to believe him. At running back, I definitely got uh, Amir Abdullah wrong, and I don't think I ever had Amir Abdullah making the team. Uh, I just didn't think that five running backs was a thing that they'd do again, because they had trouble, you know, last year, like, finding utility out of all of them. Uh, but they did find a way to get five running backs on the team. No Kari blasting him. He is on the practice squad, however, so I'm happy about that. 
so it's, you know, Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison, Mike Boone, and Amir Abdullah. I mean, both of them looked really good in the preseason. I made quite a big hay about Amir Abdullah's fumble, and I think that that made Mike Boone, you know, beat him out. But it's more that, like, Mike Boone had a pretty flawless preseason, so one flaw goes a long way, but not long enough, not a long enough way to get Amir Abdullah cut outright. He's just probably force on this depth chart and a reasonable backup kick returner while we wait for Mike Hughes to get back. The wide receiver room is fascinating because as at least of this recording, there are only four of them and waiver wires have come and gone. You know, there are still veterans out there that they could be negotiating with like Demarius Thomas and Jordan Matthews, etc. I think Jordan Matthews is still on the market and I'd imagine they'd want like some kind of veteran presence because Chad Beebe and BC Johnson are both just like so young, but those are the two guys that made it. And those were the only two that were like kind of givens. I had Brandon Zilstra making it. He uh, got cut from the Vikings, but he did end up on a 53-man roster. He's on the Panthers now, so he's palling around with Darius Wright, and that's the only one that really surprised me. I knew Laquan Treadwell wasn't going to make the team, like, before even training camp. I think we all knew the writing was on the wall there. Tried to find a trade partner for him. Nobody bit, and he got uh, cut, and as of this recording, he has not been picked up by anybody else, which is a pretty searing damnation of the pick. Uh, and of course, nobody, Dylan Mitchell made it to the practice squad, and so did Davion Davis. Uh, when they couldn't get Brandon Zilstra, they, they called Davion Davis to be on the practice squad. And of course, the rest, Alexander Hollins, etc., are uh, trying to find their next chapters elsewhere. And only keeping four wide receivers is completely fascinating, and they also kept four tight ends, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, and, and that is a, a pretty strong indicator that what they did in the preseason, I mean, this is not a gimmick. This is not a lip service. They're really going to commit to this, you know, double tight end, you know, big formations, try to get mismatches, try to get a bunch, everybody's linebackers on the field and then run them up and down the field, get these big guys tired. They're going to really commit to that strategy. And that's not something we've seen for a while. I think tomorrow's show, if I have time and no, no major news breaks, I'm going to probably go deeper into the, the ins and outs of it because it's really fascinating. And I can't remember a time in like the modern NFL when a team really entered a season willingly with only four wide receivers on the entire roster. And one of them in Chad Beebe isn't even that reliable. So it's really an interesting indicator of where they're headed. But the four tight ends also kind of carry a surprise. Uh, you have Kyle Rudolph, Irv Smith, Tyler Conklin. I don't think anybody was uh, worried about that. David Morgan does end up on the physically unable to perform list, which is a bummer. Uh, hopefully we can get him back by week six. That is the earliest he can come back. It could take longer. He could end up on IR. I truly have no idea what's going on with that situation. So we kind of just have to wait and see. I, I'm sorry. I can't inform you any further on that. Uh, but the fourth tight end, big surprise, probably the surprise of the 53-man roster is Brandon Dillon. Uh, not surprising because like he didn't have a good preseason. Or he had a phenomenal preseason. He was excellent. I kind of always just thought being from the small school, being the undrafted free agent, and being buried on the depth chart be behind four other tight ends that were all drafted and all, like, pretty untouchable, I just thought there wasn't a path to the roster for him. But with David Morgan going on the putt, there was a path to the roster for him, and, and that's really awesome. You know, the Marion Flash. He definitely struggles blocking still, and that's going to have to be, you know, a part of his game that improves before he actually carves out a role in the offense. But just being on the field, I mean, he's athletic, he's fast, he can actually... Uh, you know, be a contributing receiver. So you could line up in 13 personnel. So one running back, three tight ends. And those tight ends can be Kyle Rudolph, Irv Smith, and Brandon Dillon, or Tyler Cron. I mean, you could have any of any three of those four and have like a reasonable pass catching core of skill players. That's pretty exciting. And it's definitely like outside the box. And it's, it's just, it's fascinating. I wish I could talk to you more, but I just don't have time in this show. I'll have to table it to next show. So for now, let's move on to the offensive line. Of course, we want to talk about the O-line a bunch, right? So uh, not a ton of surprises here. I actually think in my last roster prediction, I nailed it. I got 10 offensive linemen and uh, I got all 10. So I, and I think that's the only position group I actually got 100% right, except quarterbacks, I guess. But uh, that one wasn't too hard. So you have your 
your starting five, Reef, Bradbury, Elfline, Klein, and O'Neill, and then you have your backup five, Rashad Hill, Dakota Dozier, Brett Jones, Drew Samia does make the team. I know people were worried about that, but I do think he picked up his play pretty well down the stretch. And Oli Udo does make the team, who I actually was like very on the fence about down the stretch. I thought he had an amazing game against the Seahawks, but he didn't like replicate that performance, but he was still good enough to earn a roster spot as the 10th offensive lineman. So a lot of projects there. Drew Samia and Oli Udo definitely have like strong technique issues and, and they don't do the fundamentals well enough to be like trustworthy in an in-game situation. So if there are injuries, I would imagine that Brett Jones does Dakota Dozier and Rashad Hill are the first guys we see there. Uh, And if there are further injuries and you have to put any of the rookies in, that could end up disastrously. But it would take like two or three offensive line injuries before we even start considering that. And then, you know, there's always waiver claims and stuff. So it's pretty easy to navigate a, a, like, injury hell situation without putting Ole Udo on the field and essentially just get to stash him on the 53-man roster and develop him without having to expose him to waivers. And I think in future years, those two are going to be a part of this line. I really, really like their potential. The only real notable cut here is Danny Isidore. He was a uh, fifth-round pick a couple years ago. He gets traded for a seventh-rounder to the Miami Dolphins, which is great. I didn't think he was going to make the team. I think they were going to cut him anyways. Dolphins give him a give the Vikings a seventh rounder, and then they moved him over to left tackle where he's never played. So that should go fine, I guess, right? Yeah, like, how could that go wrong? Uh, but that's, I feel good about the depth. I really do. I, I like Rashad Hill, I think, is a good backup. I don't like him as a starter, but I love him as a backup. I think Dakota Dozier has exceeded my expectations for him. I thought he'd be about Tom Compton. I think he's a little better than Tom Compton, and he can play left tackle reasonably. I love that. Uh, I think Brett Jones is at a phenomenal preseason, and then a couple of good projects that you can feel really good about. I still have my concerns about Elfline. I have my concerns about O'Neill and his health, uh, but all of that we'll just kind of have to wait and see. I, but I, I, I at least like the depth, and that's not something that we've been able to say for a while. Before we move on to defense, I do have to shout out another sponsor for today's show, BlueChew.com. Fellas, you have to take your sexual performance seriously. It's really important to your relationship. It's important to your partner. And let's be honest, it's important to you. So check out Blue Chew. It's the first chewable tablet of its kind. has the same FDA-approved ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know exactly what you're getting into. And since it's a chewable, it works twice as fast. So when the moment's right, you don't have to sit around and wait for a pill to kick in. It gets better. It's made right here in the USA, and it ships directly to your door, so that means no pharmacy, no awkwardness. It's shipped in a nice, discreet package, and it's a little bit cheaper because they can ship direct. And it's not just for guys who can't perform, it's for guys who are perhaps perfectly adequate in bed and just want to get a boost. And there's nothing wrong with a little self-improvement. So go to bluechew.com, that's blue like the color blue, B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, and enter promo code Locked On at checkout, and you can try it for free, just five bucks for shipping. That's bluechew.com, and we thank all of our sponsors for sponsoring today's show. All right, let's talk about the defense. So I'm going to start with the defensive line. Uh, the defensive ends, there are not many surprises at all. This is uh, the other, I, did, I guess I did get this group right. It was Griffin, Hunter, obviously, Fadio Denebo, uh, who had maybe the best preseason on the whole team relative to his expectations, and Stephen Weatherly, whose roster spot was never even close to in question. Uh, thought maybe Carter Schultz had an outside shot at the team, but he did get waived. Uh, very surprised that nobody picked him up. I really thought that he had a, a good preseason and he showed rosterable abilities. He did have a lot of trouble tackling. Maybe that sunk him more than I thought it should. Uh, But I do think he will get another shot elsewhere eventually. Uh, Elsewhere, there's obviously Stacey Keeley on the practice squad. I thought that would be Henri St. Amour, but they do love their rookie tryouts. And uh, the practice squad is all about, you know, potential. And and you have these problems, but what are you like if I fix them? And they're kind of judged on that. 
Now, the defensive tackles is where this gets really surprising because they kept six of them, and I really didn't think that they had room to do that. Uh, I thought that Hercules Mata'afo would be the odd man out. It turned out there would be no odd man out, and they kept all six. So that's, uh, of course, Linval Joseph and Shamar Stefan. That is Jaleel Johnson and Jalen Holmes, who spent most of the time with the ones while Joseph and Stefan were hurt. And then that's also Hercules Mata'afa and Armin Watts. Now, I think at various points in the process, all of those players played at a rosterable level, if not a level that looked like they could actually, like, you know, keep up with a first-team offense offensive line. So, like, I'm not surprised at, like, any individual one of them. I think they all really deserved to make the team, and I just kind of thought that you had to make the choice at some point. Uh, but they decided to, like, make sparse cuts elsewhere, like s- sticking with four wide receivers, and and they kept, you know, Armin Watts and Hercules Madoff and everybody. So the rotation will be fascinating, obviously. You know, maybe if it's an obvious rushing down, you put in Linval Joseph and Shamar Stefan. If it's an obvious passing down, you put in, uh, you know, Hercules Mata'afa and whoever the other best pass rusher is. Maybe that's still Linval. Maybe that's Jalen Holmes, who was pretty disruptive at, at points in the preseason. Uh, and, and you kind of rotate things that way. But I do think that that does expose you to some possible issues, right? If it's an obvious rushing down, say it's second and four, and you think they're going to run the ball. So you put in Linval Joseph and Shamar Stefan, or maybe even Jaleel Johnson and Shamar Stefan, two like kind of run stuffing guys, guys that are better against the run. And then they show up and pass on you and you can't get any interior pressure because those guys aren't as good at it. You could kind of get caught with your pants down. So they'll have to be really careful in how they rotate it. And I think it'll be something that's interesting to monitor throughout the season, how they like utilize all these guys. And I'm sure not all of them will be active either. So that, of course, is interesting. I did get one uh, thing on the linebackers wrong. They just kept one fewer than I thought. Obviously, the top four were never in question. Barr and Kendricks, Getty and Eric Wilson, those guys are going to be kind of the principal guys that you're actually seeing on the field. At the bottom of the depth chart, I thought there were going to be two keeps from the group of Cam Smith, Kentrell Brothers, and Devontae Downs. Of course, Rashard Cliet and Graham Martini were also kind of part of that, uh, but they did not end up making a team. I think both of them struggled a little bit down the stretch. Rashard Cliet, especially in that Thursday game, kind of tanked his own case, but uh, I thought that they would keep Brothers and Cam Smith. They just kept Brothers. So Cam Smith, they put on the practice squad. They also put Downs on the practice squad. And I think both of those guys are like rosterable players. So if there are injuries and you have to promote one of them, I would be totally fine with those guys being on the team anyways. But for now, they stick on the practice squad and they're exposed if somebody else wants to roster them. And then in the secondary, uh, of course, you have Mark Fields, but that is the only thing that I got wrong. I had Darren Smith Deron Smith making the team. Uh, He didn't make the team, and Mark Fields made it in his place as an extra corner instead of an extra safety. Everything else is as I predicted. Of course, Rhodes, Waynes, Hughes, Alexander, the easy top four. Uh, I did have Chris Boyd making the roster. I thought he played really well in that Thursday game, and that's really all it took because nobody else was stepping up. No Duke Thomas, no AAF players on the whole roster. I am particularly bummed about that, even though that doesn't really make any sense to be bummed about that. I don't know, man. I just like the AAF, and I I just, I'm always going to root for those guys to succeed. And like I said at the top of the show about Mark Fields. I think that he is dead last on the depth chart. I don't even know if he's going to be active for most of the games. I really do think that he's like a project that they see a lot of potential in and want to retain the rights to and use a roster spot for that rather than an actual backup in case of injury and stuff. I think Chris Boyd goes in before Mark Fields would, but otherwise, I mean, you have four guys until Holton Hill comes back. Holton Hill comes back. I would imagine Chris Boyd is the one that gets cut unless they want to try to expose Mark Fields to waivers. You know, a little easier to get away with that in the middle of the season than when everybody's watching it like a hawk during cut down day but they do have a filled group of cornerbacks six cornerbacks and then the safeties are without Deron Smith exactly as you'd expect 
uh, Anthony Harris, Harrison Smith, J. Ron Curse. Of course, those guys are all pro- uh, they're all starting caliber players. I'll say it. I don't know. Is that bold? Is, I don't even think that's bold anymore. Those guys are just all very good. Uh, and Marcus Epps, with a pretty solid performance on the Thursday night Buffalo game, managed to secure himself the fourth safety roster spot over Deron Smith. And then we get to the specialists and the end of a long and painful saga with the kickers and long snappers. Uh, so essentially the Vikings wave Corey Vedvik. They roster Dan Bailey. Dan Bailey wins the kicking competition. No questions asked. So you have cutting and, uh, Dan Bailey. And then you have Dustin Colquitt come in and replace Matt Weil as the punter and holder. And that's going to be your trio. So I just want to postmortem this whole Vedvik thing. And then I will put it to bed and we probably don't have to talk about it ever again until, I don't know, he'd like goes back to the Ravens and becomes a superstar because of course that would always happen to the Vikings. But here's what I really think happened. And this is a little bit of my own conjecture and a little bit of reading the tea leaves. So, you know, grain of salt and everything, but here's my best theory for what happened. So the Vikings, of course, drafted a long snapper because they didn't have anybody else on their board and they liked the long snapper. They thought he was really good and they thought, yeah, yeah, we can improve at long snapper. Why not? We don't really, we don't want Tyree Jackson or whatever. We'll take the long snapper, right? So the competition begins and the competition is actually throwing off the kicker a whole bunch because of course, two long snappers are not going to snap at the exact same speed. You got to get used to both timings and switching back and forth is really hard. And this isn't me saying this. This is me quoting Marwan Malouf who said as much when people were asking about Dan Bailey struggling in camp. You know, he basically said, yeah, there's two long snappers out there. It's tough to get used to. It's not really his fault, but we're trying to figure out the long snapping thing. And once we get that figured out, things should should kind of all align and straighten out. But the problem didn't go away because they didn't pick a long snapper. So instead, they just went out and spent a fifth on Corey Vedvik. And all of the tea leaves around this kind of say that it was either a panic move or it was kind of a a FOMO move almost. Essentially with Corey Vedvik, the Ravens went and broadcast to the world, this dude's available for trade, what are you going to give us? The Jets and the Bears and I think another team, the Packers maybe, uh, all were like, yeah, we'll give you conditional draft picks. If he makes our team, we'll give you a draft pick. And the, the Ravens were like, okay, okay, maybe that's it. And the Vikings came in and said, well, we're having a kicker issue and so are the Bears. We would hate to get, for a division rival to go get this guy and fix their issue while we're sitting on our hands. So we'll give you just a, a straight up and down fifth round pick. Screw the conditions. If he doesn't make the team, you still get the pick. We'll give you the fifth. And Ravens like, well, we're going with that, obviously. So they make the trade. As part of the trade, they have to cut a roster spot. And so they make a decision on their long snapper battle. They cut Kevin McDermott. And so simultaneously, two things happen that could be attributed for Dan Bailey improving in camp. And that's exactly what it does. Dan Bailey gets a lot better and he doesn't miss anything throughout the preseason while Corey Vedvik struggles a ton. So I think this is what they did, and I wish I had the source that I could cite. I, like, saw this somewhere, and it makes sense, and I think I remember Marwan Malouf talking about, you know, a criticism of Vedvik that he has is that he takes too long on his approach to the ball, which, of course, if you take too long to kick it, it gives them more time to block it, so that's a problem, right? So take a step out of his approach was something that they tried to tweak in his mechanics, but that tweak in his mechanics threw everything off so he can't kick anymore, and he was never really that good of a punter. Uh, he kicked it long, but he always kicked it too low, so you'd outkick the coverage, and it leads to punting return touchdowns like the one we saw on the Thursday night game in Buffalo. So you can't use him as a punter. You can't use him as a kicker because you broke his mechanics. So you got to wave the guy. Meanwhile, Dan Bailey, who you had all, all along, looks a lot better. So you can kind of say, well, maybe we spent a fifth round pick to light a fire under his butt. And maybe he got better that way. But what I think is you fixed the long snapper thing that Marwan Malouf cited at the beginning was the root of the problem all along. So I think the special teams coordinator knew that that was the root of the problem. And then this Corey Vedvik thing came in, shook everything up and, and just like muddied and clouded the whole situation. But what I really think is that you traded a pick 
to force yourself to make a decision on the long snapper. And if they could have just made a choice on the long snapper, and let's be honest, they were never going to pick Kevin McDermott anyways because they drafted Austin Cutting. So as soon as they knew Austin Cutting wasn't going to be stuck in the military and could play, they probably should have just cut Kevin McDermott and they could have saved themselves like 90% of this headache. They probably still would have had to deal with the Matt Weil holding issue, but I do think they handled that well, like they didn't handle any other part of this well, but I do think, all right, our punter's having a holding issue. Let's wait till waiver wire. So somebody's going to cut a good punter, right? Because some t- somebody's going to luck into having two good punters, have to cut one. And we'll get this, you know, we'll get whatever veteran we know is a good holder. And even if they're not quite as good as Matt Weil, that's probably worth the trade-off. And I do think it's worth the trade-off. So I think the, the punter holding situation, I do think that they handled pretty well. They just kind of stuck it out through the preseason, got a better holder in here. And hopefully that fixes the problem. But I think the long snappers, competition made the kicking bad and then they tried to fix the kicking instead of just making a dang decision on the long snapper and the whole debacle could have been avoided if they were just a little more decisive that's my crack theory i don't know let me know what you think so oh my god i crammed it all in and i think i'm not over time that is a miracle but that is going to do it for today's episode of locked on vikings thank you guys so much for hanging out through all of this roster stuff all the way from the 90 man series if some of you who have listened to all of those and are still here if if there are players that you didn't hear of and you want to know about like who's brandon dillon go back and listen to those they're all on Online. Just look up Locked On Vikings, Brandon Dillon, search it, you'll find it. So long as they were somebody that was signed before the start of camp, uh, I did a profile on them, or, or if somebody you were really rooting for who got cut, or who you want to follow, uh, go listen to their stories. I really encourage you. I'm, I'm really proud of that work, and I hope that you guys go check it out. Uh, but this has been the Roster Recap Show. It is brought to you by Mac Weldon today, uh, and I will talk to you tomorrow a little more. I'm going to do a deep dive on the offense uh, and the decision to keep four wide receivers and four tight ends as your eight pass catchers, which is just fascinating and what it means and what, it, what we can kind of look forward to, how that can be exposed, what we can worry about, what we shouldn't worry about, what we can be excited about. All that stuff will go really deep on it and probably have some news to cover too because it's kind of a wild time. Wednesday will be crossover Wednesday. Thursday will be an actual preview of the season opener and then we're going to be watching the Vikings play football. I am so excited and I'm so happy to be hanging out with you guys for it. I will see you all tomorrow. You can find me on Twitter, of course, in the meantime, at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. You can find the show anywhere you find your favorite shows, or you can just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. Real handy if you're in the car and you don't want to look at your phone. See you tomorrow, and as always, skull.